1: Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plant. Hey, church planner! This is Pete Mitchell, and this is Peyton Jones, welcoming you in to another episode of the Hardcore Church Planting Podcast. We're Peyton- made to
0: sound like a story podcast, like we're going to tell people stories. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Fireside Chats with
1: Peyton and Pete. I wish I had like a good English accent, and then I could be like, "Welcome." To the ho- see i can't even do it but, you know that you know what was cool
0: is you you went almost leprechaun i did was- actually
1: i did i was feeling my inner leprechaun
0: being that you are a ginger-haired man and our, our guest happens to be a ginger-haired man that was quite apropos <sighs> all
1: right well why don't you introduce our guest before i i just make this worse Okay, well, our guest today
0: is a a long-time guest, right? Um, I I don't know about listener, questioner, but he has been, he's probably been one of our uh, most common guests on here, or victims, depending on how you look at it. His name is Alan Briggs. He is the multiplying pastor at Vanguard Church, Colorado Springs, director of frontline church planning, and author of his previous book, Staying is the New Going. And we're gonna to talk to Alan a little bit today about multiplication uh as he is the multiplication pastor at Vanguard and uh his new book is called uh guard Rail. so
2: welcome great to be with you guys i already I'm with a Scottish pirate I think was actually the <laughs> accent um that I heard earlier, and I've Ooh. been called a ginger although i I have no hair on top just like Peyton so now that I've been labeled uh, incorrectly, it's great to be with you guys.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hey, anytime. This is what we do here. And uh, if if we we're in Britain, I would call you a ginger. Beware the ginger. Because it's
1: ginger here, but it's ginger there, you know. He doesn't realize those are fighting words. But anyway. Oh, I know. I know I, what I'm doing.
2: I'm going to hang this call up, and the podcast will end at that. So <laughs> that that is all. Is that, is that yes.
1: hardcore enough for you, huh? Huh? If, yeah, if that's, that's the lesson of today, I can
0: follow up and say, "So church planner, God can even use gingers to oh. find a church."
2: That's hardcore, guys. That's hardcore. hardcore. You you bring people on to roast them. Thanks for that, guys. <laughs> Involuntary humility. So appreciate that.
0: Hey, all. I, all in. Well, I'll stop there. I don't <laughs> want to insult other guests on top of everything else. But no, Alan's a friend. So man, uh, let's get into uh, your, your book. But before we do, Pete likes to. Dig into your
1: deep and personal life a bit. Actually, uh, we do because uh, even though you've been on the the show before, we've got uh, it's the the nature of podcasts, and we've got new listeners all the time. So, if you could tell us real quickly how you came to faith and how you got started doing the church planning stuff that you do,
2: yeah, the uh, story of coming to faith is like many people's story, very gradual and uh, just kind of moments called that I call hinge moments, where God just kind of blew a door wide open, maybe more like dynamite uh, moments for that. Um, Grew up in a a really solid Christian family, grew up in a faithful church, Um, never really aspired um, to be a pastor at a young age. But as God would would have it, I kind of escaped the the business world and was kind of heading that direction. And uh, just watched my parents live out a faithful witness, never holding a formal ministry position in any way, um, but just being faithful uh, within the household. and um, and so really kind of heading into high school was my big faith moment for me. and uh, beautiful to watch. God put a group of people around me. I watch, I look backwards and see how God was shaping me for life and ministry and parenthood and all of that. Um, and now kind of in the irony of it all, my dad is a pastor. My brother is a pastor, and and so am I. So it was never the family business plan, but here we are.
0: Hmm. And you do it so well. So here's it. I've never been pastored by you, but uh, you and I have. uh, We I have visited you, and uh, I have hung out with you in Colorado Springs. And you are a man uh, around town. You love your community. Um, so let's get into your book a little bit. and um, man, what what prompted you to write on this topic?
2: So it was interesting. so this this topic, guardrails, um centers around these six principles for multiplying church and um, builds out the foundation of the kingdom of God. And here's the reality. I was teaching this stuff for years. never thought it would make its way into a book until I realized I was teaching the exact same thing to different apprentices and church planners. And there was a time when I was teaching this to, I think, about nine different young men who were heading toward ministry. And I was teaching the exact same principles to say, man, there's there's one bullet in the gun. That's it. It's the gospel. It's God's kingdom breaking in. And here we are to join it. Here are these six principles. And uh, and I realized there's probably a more effective way than me being the bottleneck to teach it all the time, began to put these principles... Um, just into kind of E format and, um, started with, you know, 30 or 40 pages and then quickly a book grew out of it. So, uh, it was never my intention to put this into, to a book, uh, so that it would be published. That was an afterthought. And, um, and God has just kind of written the rest of that process and story in a wacky, wacky way. So, um, that's a whole different story, but honestly, these, these have been taught to, um, large groups of people, medium sized groups of people in, in a lot of greasy spoon, restaurants and coffee shops um, early in the morning is, uh, is the majority. Of that. So that's really where these six principles have risen out of. And people began to, to call me and email me from their next ministry stop along the way and say, this has shaped the foundation of, of my ministry, which is incredibly honoring and also something that we need to pay attention to. So that's the, the story of how we, how we got to guardrails.
1: You know, uh, many leaders believe that church growth equals church health. Give us an idea of of, uh, what's wrong with that perspective.
2: Yeah, what's interesting is that I work with a lot of younger and smaller church plants as they develop into um, the next season of ministry. Some of them will get larger, some of them will stay small, maybe parish based neighborhood churches. And what's interesting is I see a lack of health. Uh, I see consumerism. I see all the things that um, really are are hurting the church, leaders that are stressed um, and overworked and overburdened and burning out in small churches and in big churches. And so I am neither a proponent of a small church or a big church. I'm a proponent of a healthy church that's living out Um, Jesus' presence, um, wherever they're at, and and defining whatever their parish or their congregation or their space looks like. So uh, I'm not, you know, hey, I'm just an urban church planter guy. Hey, I'm not just a suburban. Um, I love churches of all shapes and sizes and pray for them all to be healthy. And so Mm. these, I believe, are principles that are scalable. And that's really important for me because so much of the training that I see is, here's how to make a really big church even bigger. Here's how to make a small church, medium sized. Here's how to take a medium sized church and make it larger. And I'm quick to say, these are not church growth principles and th- these might even shrink your church. So just a disclaimer, yeah. if the church is shrinked, you don't get your $14.99 for the book back. Okay. Cause I warned you, but, uh, th- these are calling people to the way of Jesus and that's not convenient or exciting to many people in our culture. And there are others that are deeply thirsting for that. So, um, church growth, uh, perhaps church, uh, Shrinking because you're calling people to more responsibility and discipleship, also perhaps, um, but church health and depth, uh, absolutely, that's what we're aiming for with this book.
0: Right. So that that's pretty cool, man. I love the fact that you warn people, hey, this might shrink your church because often things that you do that move believers towards greater and deeper health may actually affect the numbers. And I, I you know, it's always the toss-up. I think churches often they want health, but they want numbers more. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've seen this pattern. I I think a lot of decisions are made based on numbers rather than health. But, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, you you talk about discipleship in this book quite a bit. Um, Most of our church planners, you know, that's going to be a heavy focus for them is discipling. How do you actually make disciples?
2: So first, the blueprint. You, you say we talk about discipleship. I mean, that's, that's the core thing. That's the thing. We see it in Scripture. We see the Great Commission and uh, commissioning us who are not great. We're a bunch of hacks. And yet um, Jesus calls his team of hacks, um, of his initial team, and then more hacks like us to it. So I think to realize that everyone can make disciples, that's, that's important, um, kind of realization number one. And then it starts with discipleship, and we use the progression disciples— That develop healthy leaders, and who are healthy leaders, people who can bring other disciples with them on mission, Um, and then we see the church emerge. And often, what we see is in in church planting training is here's how to provide all the seven or nine basic services we think people need in a church, and then we need leaders. We got to scramble and meet children's ministry numbers and ratios, and we got to fill this area, and someday we'll get along to making disciples. And the more churches I talk to that someday has never really happened because it's so consuming to run a church and to uh, form a leadership team and lead a leadership team and put out fire. So I think the key first Peyton is to see that, that that's a progression of disciples. And then some of those disciples will bring others on mission with them and we'll call them leaders. And then some of those leaders will see the church pop out and we'll see new churches pop out. Um, Church planting. So I think that grid is important. Um, Number two, how do we make disciples? Um, I was, you know, like almost everybody raised into that that good one-on-one discipleship, like that's the gold standard. And what I found is that that's actually not how Jesus did it, is that he had a team around him, perhaps his his small group. Um, But then Peter, James, and John, he had his three, his boys, um, maybe his leadership team that he let behind the scenes, who was going to start the church, and he, he knew that. Uh, and so, I think for us, it's uh, a big focus on defining who are those three around you. And you know, it could be four, it could be five, but who are a few around you that you can multiply into instead of wearing yourself out in good edition? I was doing good addition and I was exhausted. Um, and so, creating pods of leaders that can go on mission together, um, the overly used phrase doing life together. That's hard to even know what that looks like in, in our culture today. Um, but to actually seek Jesus together on a regular basis in our vocation, in our family, in our sexuality, in the areas that are driven this even, and, and, and the areas that we get competitive, and yet um, God um, heals us together.
0: You said sexuality. We can't talk about those things on this podcast.
2: Oh, sorry about that.
1: Now yeah. I got to mark it explicit. Wait oh, man. Go,
2: okay. Alan. Alan. Well, Pete, if you could uh, have a conversation with Peyton. He doesn't know much about that topic. <laughs> Explain. So it's probably that <laughs> time in his life.
0: I don't even know what you guys are talking about. What are you talking about?
1: Okay.
2: Sorry. All right. Well, that's, <laughs> it, discipleship's explicit. Bam. There we go. No apologies.
1: I love but, it. I love
0: it. Go ahead, yeah, Peyton. Yeah, You're gonna yeah, say something. You you raise a good point though, man. That that is the place where these things get worked out, you know. Um, we need a kind of like a middle neutral ground where, you know, you mentioned like sexuality, but you know, when do people this this is a major uh and not just, you know, uh same sex, um <laughs> sexuality is a big deal nowadays and on many different levels. I mean You know the average uh, young man. You know, thirty something percent of women dealing with pornography addiction. I mean, this stuff has to be brought out in discipleship. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a major platform. You know, and we're Mm -hmm. if you're not discipling uh, and you're not taking on board the stuff that Alan's talking about, you're just assuming people are working that stuff out on their own, and they're not.
2: Mm -hmm. We've. I find too that there's there's inbounds discipleship questions that we've traditionally said it's okay and it's healthy. In many churches, it is easier to talk about pornography than it is to talk about overworking or overeating or you, you name it. And so I think it's, it's sort of this hard and scary journey into that where what if I were to tell a guy, hey, at working 70 hours a week, um, that may be making work an idol for you is that you don't have a boss telling you to do that. Your drivenness is actually creating a wedge between you and God and you and your family and you and your local church. Um, have you ever been part of that conversation? I mean, those, those that's true discipleship. And we've got to be able to venture into those areas that seem like, is this even a spiritual issue? Absolutely. So I, in my mind, I want to expand our view of that. Everything is spiritual territory. And I want to expand our view just a little bit that we would push into those areas that seem uncomfortable. Um, and perhaps there's a pink elephant in the corner of the room. Everybody sees it. Let's just acknowledge it and talk about it and work it out in the lens of the gospel.
1: So how do you do your, uh, your discipling? I mean, is it you know over coffee? Is it uh, at a Wednesday night meeting? I mean, you know, when you're pouring into these guys that are going to be able to go out there and multiply, how are you doing it?
2: I do love me some caffeine. Um, I'm a dad of four, so that that tends to help. Um, the reality is it's when it works best for people. Um, it's usually, again, if it's in, in smaller pods, it's going to have to be a time people can be regular and consistent. So I ask leaders to commit to a certain amount of time. I'm a big believer in a start to a group and an end to a group. Um, and I, I say ahead of time, here's what we're looking at. Here's the amount of time um, would you commit to doing this and think about this? And it's going to be with some people who you probably haven't met before. These aren't, this isn't a small group. These aren't folks who are your best friends. Um, but we will seek Jesus together. And so I, I give a fair warning at the beginning and have them commit. And so the time that they can commit to, um, for men, it tends to be before work where we can make that happen. Um, once it's interesting, I had a professional, uh, dance instructor and he was, uh, he said, the only time I can meet is I get off work at nine. So we can meet about 930. So we met from 930 to 11 uh, in my living room. And uh, is interesting. Just that was the first time we had invited somebody in who I don't think was a follower of Jesus at that point. And we saw that this can, these can be committed followers of Jesus. These can be pastors already in ministry saying, I don't really know how to disciple people. I was never discipled. Um, and this could be somebody who's just investigating the faith. Um, and we just look at a passage of scripture together. And, and we ask those questions, what's God speaking to you? What are you going to do about it? And so it's action-based only in the sense that the Holy Spirit is is pushing us to action. Um, not that I'm creating assignments for the group. And uh, my favorite is to start with the Sermon on the Mount. I think we need to be retrained in the most basic things that Jesus said and did. I call them Jesus's greatest hits. And so um, if people who are far from the church say, man, I like this guy, um, Then I'll say, well, if you like the idea of Jesus, you should read his greatest hits and uh, you'll get a better picture of of whether you liked his life and everything he proclaimed and embodied um, packed in those three chapters. So that's that's the basis for it. Um, Often we'll look at a particular topic uh, that that brings us into one of Paul's epistles. But uh, for me, I want to focus on the word of God and see how God speaks to us through that.
0: So, Alan, you know, speaking to our church planners, talked a little bit about guardrails, roadblocks. Um, what what is the? Um, how do you know when it's the right time to plan a church?
2: Yeah, I think there's no easy answer for that, but lots of discernment. And we talk about I'm not sure who I stole this from. So, if you're listening, thank you. But the idea of runway lights that when folks are making really any major decision that you're not just looking for lights over a city. You're looking for a series of lights that line up and that, um, form a realistic progression from God's word and where you see it and what's lighting you up in, in God's word or even the ministry of Paul, um, you know, the disciples, what, what lights you up about that and why do you feel like that's driving you to plant a church, um, wise counsel, past experiences, Um, assessment's a huge piece for discerning, um, but other men and women of God around you who affirm that gift in you. Uh, cause there are lots of people, as you, as you guys know, who are planting churches because it seems cool because the ever sexy Peyton talks about planting churches. So there we go. But there are lots of, uh, different reasons to plant churches. Um, lots of bad motivations based out of baggage and frustration with the church. And I want to recreate something. Um, and then, and then there are a couple really solid motivations for planting a church. And so, uh, without a season of discernment, it's hard to know that. So we usually try to slow guys down and we try to talk through the why. And, um, we try to ask them, would you be willing to do a residency beforehand? Um, at least a consultancy beforehand so that you can walk through this in a way because the structure that you're setting up for (laughs) later, you're building now. And that's very, very, very important. Uh, in the process, so there's no one way, but those are some of the key principles for us.
0: Church planners are kind of like Luke Skywalker, you know, where they're 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 ready to take on the empire. They're they're ready to go do it. And Yoda and Obi Wan are going, well, hold on, you know, you got to complete your Jedi training. And they they run out there and they confront Vader and get their their hand chopped off and their butt kicked and fall down holes and stuff. So that's always a bummer. But you know, uh, what what is it that you see? When you hold these guys back and you do an intern, what does that actually do for the church planner? Cause there, there are planners listening today going, I want to, you know, I could, I could have been somebody, Johnny, let me at them, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and they need maybe more experience, more, um, you know, what, what does it do for them when you put them into a residency?
2: I would say number one, um, it, it knocks off a whole lot of sharp edges. So anyone listening, me talking, I mean, if you're a human, you have sharp edges that you need other people and God to knock off of. And so when you have people committed for a certain amount of time to speak into your life, they're simply going to see things that you don't. And, um, and so that is beautiful. It puts you in a covenant relationship with, with people. The other one would be, it gets you along uh, with other planters. Uh, most church planters are experiential learners because I believe most entrepreneurial leaders are experiential learners. You can find content everywhere today. So it's really not to cram more content in your head. It's to rethink your paradigms. And when I get church planters together to talk with pre-church planters and guys a year in and two years in and five years in, the big question is what would you have done differently? And what surprised you about the process? And it's amazing how those can be paradigm shifts that just tweak people or absolutely jack up whatever system of church planting they had. Um, one story is a guy that was going to come here from another state. He visited uh, Denver several times. He thought, Oh, here's what it is. He studied the demographics. Um, he was as study as he could be. And he got on the ground and a year later he said, oops, I want to try to unlearn everything that I unlearned when I was States away because this is how the people actually are. And so make sure you feel the texture of the ground, the texture of relationships instead of just looking from 30,000 foot view uh, and thinking I can go conquer that city. So um, get in the mix of it, get in the mess, be humble, be willing to have your paradigm shattered. Uh, Don't sell everything to uh, supporters before uh, you actually know if that's a real need in this community.
1: Pete, you're up. Is it time for that already? It is.
2: All right. Well,
1: Alan, you've been on the show before, so you know our famous last question that we always like to ask and here it is. If you were to get into a physical fist fight with the person who wrote the foreword on guardrails, six principles for multiplying a church, Dave Ferguson, who would win? You or Dave?
2: I, I would like to say that I would win, but I think I would be overtaken by Dave. Here's why. Because Dave comes in so relaxed and he looks like he's got it all under control. And before I'd even have my dukes up, I think he would poke me in the eye, and then he would would tickle me, and then he would give me the punch to the jaw that would knock me off balance because Dave is so cool and collected that that's just how he rolls. So before I'm ready, I've actually lost the fight, and then he begins to mentor me and tell me how I could be as ninja as him in the future. So I'd like to say Mm. it would unfold differently. I've dreamed and prayed about this many times, but that's the end (laughs) I keep coming to.
0: Yeah, I gotta say, you know, Dave Chicago style. So you're not gonna see him coming. I think that's that's well played, man. You have not sure. under you've not underestimated your your enemy. In fact, he's probably he's probably
2: got probably f- got mob connections, you yeah. know, either through exponential or Chicago somewhere you know, there's so many ways why he would he would beat me in that
0: it's the new thing family man I mean he, he, you know he rolls with his brother you know it's like his concierge you know and Good he's point. got uh, yeah he's got he's got the new thing family la familia you know they'll, they'll come man and uh, yeah. you won't even see him. You won't even know it was Dave. And that I, th- hit you.
1: I think he, you hit on a good point. Being from Chicago, he's got hitmen on speed dial. I mean, let's oh, face yeah. it. He just absolutely does.
0: Yeah. and but and I'm, can I'm smile just out out the whole the time. Wild
2: West. So yes, absolutely. yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, you're more yeah. like the mountain man. Like you know, you kind of like run at him with like a, a bear bearskin on and you know a tomahawk and you're 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 all you know like man of the earth about it. And he's like yeah. more like. Alan, you know.
2: Yeah, it sa- it sounds great, but it's just your classic underdog story. You know, just dressed up in a big beard and you know, Colorado. And people <laughs> are wondering what I smoked last week. And yeah, I mean, it's just your typical, typical wilderness story, um, versus the mafia. You know who's gonna win.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and that's why we want you to win, Alan. We want you to win, but we live in the real world, man.
2: <laughs> totally. We've got to.
0: So uh, anyways, hey, guys, our guest has been Alan Briggs. His new book is called Guardrails, uh, Six Principles for a Multiplying Church. Forward, incidentally, by Dave Ferguson. Don't be fooled. And uh, the book is out by Press. You can get it on Amazon.com and anywhere, as Pete likes to say, where fun Christian books are sold. And uh, if you want to connect with Alan, you can find him at alanbriggs.net. Um, and Alan is a, uh, just a great equipper and multiplier and discipler, and you will find much wisdom at this man's feet. So Alan, thank you for coming on brother.
2: Thanks for having me guys. Always fun to poke fun a little bit and certainly be humbled by you guys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's what we do. Well, Arnold, uh, (laughs) sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home.
1: You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by The Church Planner Podcast and The Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.